Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcasting hoping for an election, but dear Lord, not yet. My name is Corey Hayes, left of my parliament propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hey, Corey. It's 2024, Steve, and that means it's an election year, probably, maybe. Everyone's expecting it to be. Let's hope it is. Prime Minister Richard Sunak has confirmed it will be an election year to the press. And as we found out today, that definitely means it's 100% true and absolutely bang on going to happen. So we are going to start the year as we traditionally do with our movers and shakers picks. term listeners uh, we are going to pick the men and women we think will move and shake british politics in 2024 steve won the toss so he's going to go with our leaders pick first so which political party leader steve will move and shake british politics the most in 2024 i mean the, the, the obvious answer here is keir starmer because the, the chances are at some point in 2024 he is about to become the prime minister so it's an easy pick i don't think i need to go into any more explanation than that I don't think so. I, I mean, we well, we did talk at length about Labour's strategy. Um, if you want to listen to that uh, on our 2023 podcast, we will undoubtedly talk more on it in 2024 because we have nothing better to do with our lives. The only caveat I will say that if Labour do not win the election and Starmer is not Prime Minister, it won't be Rishi Sunak winning it. It will be Keir Starmer losing it. That is a sort of prediction. But I am happy to pick Rishi Sunak because... I suppose as Prime Minister, he does have the big moving and shaking quality of the year, which is to decide the election date. And at the moment, he hasn't ruled out a May election, has said to journalists, uh, as I so wittily pointed out in the introduction, um, that 2024 will be an election year. So he's trying to rule out January 2025. I don't think we can entirely rule it out. The interesting strategic question at the moment is that Labour have said, are, are trying to, I think, assume the election is going to be on the same day as local elections in May this year. And Emily Thornbury said that apparently a May election is the worst kept secret in Westminster. And if we can get enough backers on Patreon, maybe we'll do a 10 worst kept secrets in Westminster because we might need those new backers to pay for the legal fees (laughs) that wouldn't happen as a result of the episode. I think that's big for Sunak. We got a bit of a hint, didn't we, at how Rishi Sunak is going to fight this year and move and shake British politics with his um, place today on, on on asylum, the, clearing the asylum backlog. Have you seen this? Bits and pieces of it, yeah. So last year, obviously, we the, the movement of Shakers was dominated by Rishi Sunak's pledges and then lack thereof of actually achieving them. And the government announced today that they've managed to clear the entire asylum backlog only it turns out they haven't really cleared the asylum backlog. What they mean is it's a bit like if you were to go in the office on your first day back after Christmas and mark all your emails as read and then say you cleared your in-tray and you didn't have any, you did not done any of the work on the back of them, but you, you know, mark them as read. You'd reviewed your, you'd reviewed them and then it was fine. Yep. Sounds about what I'd expect from this government. We'll obviously talk about fake news and post-truthness in the way that only a centrist dad podcast can in later episodes but let's go on to cabinet pick now this is interesting and actually it's a bit of a dilemma i kind of wanted to go 
second on this one to see what you were going to do. I'm I'm going to go for Kemi Badnock. Interesting choice. Yeah, I can see that. So, a couple of reasons for that. One of them is her portfolio, which I think is, yeah, Secretary of State for Business and Trade. And that portfolio is still in the sort of Brexit opportunity space. She's done a bit of culture war stuff as well. And also, and this podcast does sadly have a habit of picking uh, future party leaders, given Liz Truss has been a pick in previous podcasts. Kemi Badnock is top at the moment in Conservative Homes poll of cabinet ministers. And if we assume that your first pick is right on the proviso that Keir Starmer will be Tory leader, uh, well, we... (laughs) Jeremy Corbyn into the podcast. If we assume that <laughs> if we assume that Keir Starmer is going to be Prime Minister by the end of this year, there will be a Tory party leadership race. I think Kemi Badnock is very well placed to win that race. The only caveat, I think, is I don't know how popular she is amongst MPs. I, I feel she's in the sweet spot of cabinet clout portfolio before the election and possible post-election uh, raising of profile as well. Yeah, no, I I agree with all of that. I think Badnock's a very um, astute choice um, for for kind of like mover and shaker for the cabinet minister. I've I've to a degree gone for a sort of same kind of thinking in that that I've chosen somebody who I suspect may not necessarily be the person who ends up as Tory party leader, but I suspect he will put his name his hat into the ring. And on top of this. He's currently the Home Secretary, and therefore an awful lot of the biggest issues that the Tory party are dealing with fall under his brief. So I am, of course, talking about James Cleverley, um, who so far over the past couple of weeks has just been making headlines for making incredibly bad taste jokes about date rape drugs. Um, Which, if that's how his 2024 goes, he would definitely move and shake things, just not in a positive way. So Cleverley was my reserve pick, and I think he's a very, very solid choice. I, for, so for both the reasons in that he's definitely got portfolio clout. Like the first six months of this year is going to be dominated by the Rwanda bill going through or attempting to go through, um, which, again, it passed its second reading. And the government celebrated that, even though you're really just like, you should not be worrying about bills passing second reading. You know, that is like celebrating turning up for work on your first day back after Christmas and not vomiting on the carpet. But I also think he is a contender in the leadership race that happens afterwards. However, as you've hinted, I do wonder that his, I worry his performance as Home Secretary is uh, scuppering those chances by, as you say, A, making incredibly bad taste jokes about Rehypnol, uh, which is probably not a good look, and especially if you're the Home Secretary in charge of clamping down on that kind of stuff but also he was swearing in the house of commons wasn't he didn't he call uh he we will he uh was accused of calling some mps constituency a shithole which yeah. is unfortunate uh, you get the impression that mouth is in ahead of brain and it's you know you you can make lots of silly jokes but maybe not in the house of commons chamber and not at departmental parties uh, but also claimed to stop boats over christmas didn't he yeah. Despite the fact that it might have been the weather, as you might have noticed, it was quite windy and wet this morning, yeah. struggling up the hill to Rednall. D- d- don't know what you mean. I've not had to go out twice in it to walk the dog. Um, it's, oh, 
it's 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 been not pleasant. But yeah, so I, I cleverly is has a lot of potential, and I say that in the, the sense of like just purely in the ability to be a mover and shaker. I can see two scenarios: one where he absolutely, for whatever reason, is able to just smash it out of the park and just become Tory party leader for, for, through whatever means. Or the alternative is he's just going to absolutely just hang himself. And I don't think there's going to be much in between um, because he just seems to be his own worst enemy um, more than anything else. But I think it's... So, Cleverly will not be Tory party leader, I don't think, because the the way that James Cleverly gets in the final two is if he's the candidate of the moderates. And I use that word... Mm-hmm. But he would be the more moderate in whichever two MPs go to leadership. Yeah. And he does not win that race. Yeah, not likely. Does certainly not so quickly after losing an election as well. Because as we all know, political parties tend to tend to move away from the centre um, after they lose an election, just because they like to have a, a comfort, comfort leader. So, I mean, this is a very terrifying year for elections, as we're going to talk about later in future episodes and hopefully get our mate Patrick on and hello Patrick if you're listening and apparently there's an election in America as well um, but they have kept it very quiet two weeks into the Iowa caucuses Steve I, I, it will be fascinating not only to see the outcome of that election but then to see what happens to the Conservative Party after the election I imagine for reasons we'll talk about in our commentator section the only other cabinet minister I thought about picking was Jeremy Hunt and if I was optim- if I was anyway optimistic about the Tory chances then they are predicated on an economic recovery and therefore a Hunt chancellorship. However, I'm not really sure if by this time next year, Jeremy Hunt is an MP. So I I, I guess not picking Hunt and picking Badnock tells you a lot about where I see the direction of 2024 going. I suppose you also cleverly does. Yeah, pretty much. So shadow cabinet picks, who might be cabinet picks next year, maybe, hopefully, he says, hoping not to jinx anything. Who's your shadow cabinet pick, Steve? Um, I'll be honest, I've, I've got two down, but I'm torn, but still, even at this point, which one to go for. Um, so I think I'm just going to do something slightly different to last time. Last time I went for Rachel Rees, which I think would still be a very good pick, given everything where we are with the election and Labour government and things, but... I just have this sneaking suspicion that the election is going to have some, going to have a significant element of the NHS being a part of it, and that to me means West Streeting is probably going to have a lot of TV time in some capacity uh, over the next six six months, whenever the well between now until the ne- next general election, and as a result of that. I think he's got a lot of potential to to move things around, whether that be just in terms of right uh, increasing his own stock and value in the Labour Party, or making headlines and waves in 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 whatever may, means that might be. That's an interesting pick. Um, wasn't picked last year, despite me misremembering it on the Movers and Shakers podcasts that we put out last time, um, but was a pick a couple of years ago. Um, is touted as a future Labour leader. But isn't everyone, Steve? As you say, I think health is going to be a big issue. We've got six days of junior doctor strikes happening later on this week. He is one of Labour's better media performers. He will get a lot of airtime. And I imagine that I imagine fixing the NHS backlog will be not well, fixing the NHS, which is on its knees after a, a pretty towered time, 
uh, is going to be one of the Labour government's massive priorities and will be a key election issue. Um, I am still going to pick Rachel Reeves. So I had two choices. I assumed that you would pick Rachel Reeves and therefore my my backup pick was Bridget Philipson um, because the impression I get is that health is a big election issue, but that Keir Starmer generally uh, talks about education a lot. So it's a big feature of the missions for government. Starmer's talked about oracy in schools, talked about teeth cleaning in schools. And we all know that I do love tinkering, tinkering with the national curriculum. It's one of my... Uh, I love it when politicians do that and propose eight new things to put in the national curriculum without taking anything out of it. But I think in terms of um, in, in terms of what moving and shaking a Labour government will do out of the blocks, I think it'll be A, educational, because a lot of it won't need a lot of cash. And, therefore, and because I think Starmer believes in education as kind of morally, I can see it being a big issue. However... The way I see British politics playing out, we will going to have, I assume, an emergency budget at some point towards the back end of the year. And so Rachel Reeves will have done something pretty big, hopefully, maybe, by the time this episode comes out. Uh, we are assuming that she is Chancellor, I think, in a Keir Starmer government. Yeah. And I, if I say, it sounds a bit glib if I say more the most powerful Labour Chancellor since Gordon Brown, but I, th I can see, I, I think it will be, a, I, you can see that Reeves and Starmer work well together. I think it's going to be a partnership that will be fruitful. She, like Streeting, will be on the road. She's a good media performer, uh, good conference speech we mentioned last time. I, I'm, I'm happy with that. I, I think, again, Streeting's a good pick, but I'm happy with Reeves. This means it's me first on backbench, though, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Again, I was kind of hoping to go second on this one. I'm going to pick Suala Braverman. Uh, again, because the Tory party is... A bit like it's very 2018 all over again. It's splintering into star chambers. Mark Francois on Sky News again, talking in patriotic sentences. Um, it's all a little bit final series of the thick of it. And if we assume that there's going to be a lot of parliamentary drama over the Rwanda bill and probably other issues as well, and that Suella Braverman is, as I believe Hiranasa put it, uh, trying to put together a grid of shit for the Prime Minister. I think that she will cause a lot of nuisance for the government and then be a player in the Tory leadership race, which happens afterwards because she's been on manoeuvres already. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a very solid pick. Um, I'll be honest, I'd forgotten Suella Braverman existed because uh, I'd just put her out of mind because I, I don't like to remember that she... She exists and could be a problem in the future. It's my job like... to remind you of future problems, Steve. Yeah, it's true. In in a similar kind of vein, I went for someone that I think could be a a bit of a troublemaker within the Conservative Party, both pre and post elect general election, and it's a backbencher who I could see trying to make a com uh, make a comeback. In fact, I know she is trying to make a comeback. It's already been reported that she's trying to make a comeback and genuinely seems to believe she can be Prime Minister again. 
I'm going for Liz Truss because I can just see the Tory party psychodrama just ending up with some kind of ridiculous infighting between the right, between your Bravermanites and, 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 and the Trussites and, and things like that, and them not being able to actually come to an agreement. Um, and that just being a massive potential split over really nothing. Um, but, I can just see a kind of like that sort of thing being a, being an issue moving before them moving forward. For a start, we're going to ban all references to Brahminites and Trussites on this podcast <laughs> because I don't think we want to dignify either of them with having created an ideology. That's true. Um, and obviously, there are deep philosophical differences between Sweller Brahmin and his trust. If anyone can think of any, please let us um, know. I suppose maybe it is that trust is more your free market think tank type whereas Braverman is more a sort of culture war warrior mm. although there's a lot of overlap so trust was my reserve pick and i think she's a very good pick because she has a book coming out earlier earlier this year as well oh that'll be about, well it's about the it's about so it's about the, the threat of china to the west it's very much trying to position herself as a commentator on the world stage and therefore i think is her disruptive influence with that book and the publicity around it and the interviews around it, the disruptions you're seeing in the Tory leadership race, the um the fact actually that like the effects of the mini budget still move and shake British politics. And I think are a again, we haven't really talked too much about election speculations, but I feel like one of the reasons why it's gonna be it, Rishi Sunak hasn't clawed back an 18, 20 point poll lead. And one of the reasons I think it's really hard for him to do so is because of that mini budget. It's yep. the Black Wednesday of this parliament, and it's just hard to get away back from him. So I, I, I think I think Trust is a solid pick, and um, well, I, I can't wait to see how the Tory party goes. So we've got Badnark, we've got Cleverly, we've got Braverman, we've got Trust. Think of the Star Chambers, Steve. Can't wait to see what the ERG says about that. What's next? Brilliant. Then? 15 minutes of podcasting in 2024 and I've driven you to this bar already. Yeah, so I think that might be a new record. I think it actually is. Yeah. Next is a politician from neither the Conservative or the Labour Party. And uh, I think it's you. Yeah, it's you first. Yeah. Oh, again, I think I'm going to go for the one I didn't go for last time because I, uh, I think it's very easy to... It would be very easy for me to repeat what I did last time, which was go for Richard Trice. Um, because of reform and the impact that they could have on the election, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in a very similar way, I'm going to go for a slightly different lead. I'm going to go for Hamza Yusuf, current First Minister of Scotland, um, because one, he's in a position of power. Like that is that, that has almost always been one of the, the core reasons why Nicola Sturgeon has been selected by one of us. Mm. I think pretty much every year we've been doing this. Uh, so that that is something not to be ignored but equally one of two things is going to happen either the SNP are going to get routed um quite significantly in in scotland in which case a lot of that will fall down to uh, a failure on yusuf's part um to actually turn things around um or he will somehow manage to turn things around in which case that has a massive impact on the the wider electoral calculus um for for the general election so that is a, a potentially quite big role uh, and way that he could impact British politics as, as a whole, whether it be through 
competence or incompetence or just not being able to turn things around like there, there, there's a lot of potential for him to have an impact i feel I, this is going to sound really patronizing that is a well-argued pick because i didn't really consider consider hamza yusuf even for a second actually no maybe for one and a half seconds um but i think you're right he does run a country um allegedly so i suppose that's got to count for something my thing with hamza yusuf is he just doesn't seem good enough and that's a problem when you're trying to run a country as, as I say, a big part of my selection here was based off of the fact that on the when we were reviewing last year's Movers and Shakers, we basically came to the agreement that moving and shaking doesn't have to be a positive thing, because that's kind of why we ended up with Sturgeon being quite an effective thing, and also I think it's a similar sort of thing. He might not be good enough, but that is still on making him impact. But I suppose if we say it's not really Hamza Yusuf's fault, but it will be a continuing investigation into SNP finances, Nicola Sturgeon apparently is writing her memoirs. Oh, um, if they're published before the election, stuff will happen. Huh. So uh, so I think, for me, the, the problem with Hamza Yusuf is it's sort of wrong person, wrong time, isn't it? Yeah. It's, a lot of it isn't his fault, but therefore, if it's not his fault, he also is not moving and shaking by being competent. He's just moving and shaking by being really unlucky. Mm. But I realised that we're having the argument at the end of the year that we should be having now. <laughs> so um, I am going to go for Ed Davey. Alan, hello, Mark, and Happy New Year, by the way, because we haven't had the Lib- Liberal Democrats for two years. But I feel like if the Lib Dems cannot make gains in the election that will probably take place this year, then what is the point? Yeah. And so therefore... If in terms of the the why, why SNP not the Dems, I'm sorry, I interrupted a bit, but if we assume the SNP might lose seats and the Lib Dems gain them, the Lib Dems become the third largest party. At which point, Ed Davey has a platform he hasn't had for a while. Yeah, no, I I, I think Davey's a a solid pick. There is a lot of potential for them to to gain a decent number of seats, um, given the the absolutely dire Tory polling which I don't even think at this point necessarily even takes into consideration things like tactical voting and things like that. Um, it could easily easily be that there's a there's a number of people who are saying they'll vote Labour currently when actually when it boils down to it, if they live down in the southwest, actually you're, gonna, you're probably going to vote Lib, Lib Dem uh, because that's who's opposing the Tories in your area or, or, or whatever. So there's a lot of potential there for them to make gains and even potentially surprise from where they are currently and yeah i think it's a solid pick overall and if they can't make serious gains in this uh, situation the Lib Dems need to have a very long a hard conversation with themselves as to what what the hell is happening but I, I don't think they will need to do that i think they will be able to make enough gains to to be able to make, make uh, count the election as a success so in a way i suppose the fact they're going from 10 12 seats means that any gain is a success um i think the interesting thing so maybe the smp angle is what if labor has a massive swing but doesn't get a majority and therefore might need lib dem and smp support because in a way that would be seen as a massive blow but then would still be a commanding electoral performance and i I mean and i think this is part of why Labour figures are trying to guard against complacency is partly so that Muppets like us don't come on podcasts 
and basically start measuring the curtains in Downing Street for Keir Starmer. But I think it's also just a natural expectation management, isn't it, of actually it's a bigger swing than 1997. Yeah. And it is, yes, okay, Tories are um, down in the polls, but winning elections is very hard. And I've had about 708 emails from Labour over the Christmas period with the chart, of, the fundraising chart of what parties raise what money in the last quarter of 2023. Yeah. Asking for money. Um, which makes me think that maybe an SNP pick I did consider was Stephen Flynn um, because he's the head of the SNP group in Westminster. Um, and I thought about Nigel Farage, but also I don't expect Nigel Farage to be an MP in the next, after the next election. Um a commentator pick and this time it's my turn first and again i'm pretty torn there's two ways i think to go with this isn't there but i think i'm going to go with gb news interesting partly because actually most of the toy parties on gb news i almost feel like this is almost like a in the same way that your guido forks pick is a bit of a all the people who work who are used to work for them in a way you know nigel farage boris johnson nadine dorries lee anderson they're all on GB News. They're all going to have a platform. And I think it will be influential up to the general election. And you can, I think you can tell the fact that Sunak essentially has come out with an absolute whopper of a lie, which just factually isn't true, that there's going to be a certain license with the truth in this election campaign. And I think that plays into the hands of outlets like GB News who are trying to be more partisan. Interesting. But I also think that post-election and the direction of the Tory party, which is going to be a big part of British politics this year, they're going to have a big play in that as well. And I don't... Well, yeah, I don't know. What's your pick? Uh, So I've gone for, just as a a general publication, the the Telegraph, because the... the, I think there's two potential impacts that the Telegraph can have is... One is in the actual general election itself... I can imagine a situation where, because the Telegraph uh, editors know that actually, you know what, the Tories have lost this. There's nothing we can they can, they can do to turn this around. I can see them turning around and saying vote reform, give the Tories a message now, um, and uh, vote vote for reform or a another like uh, right wing party that's not the Tories. I, I can see them doing something like that potentially, and even if it's not necessarily an an outright here is the editorial line that you know all the papers do who you mm. should vote for type type thing in the general election even if they don't quite go that far i could see the see a load of their commentators and a load of the the people that write for them effectively doing that um which means in in essence the the, the paper probably will still be pushing that message and then you've then got the fact that after again assuming a labor victory and a tory party uh, leadership contest the Telegraph is the sort of publication which has a lot of potential to influence things, um, even if it is just because of the fact that Boris Johnson at some point will write, an, uh, write, a, write a, 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 a column for them uh, de- detailing who people should vote for and all of those sorts of things. There's lots of little things that can kind of move together. Just, there's a lot of things that can basically move together to make a very strong case for the Telegraph to, to have some, poten- some potentially quite large in- influence on the Conservative Party moving forward. I hope Boris Johnson clears that column with the Daily Mail first. Oh, my apologies. Yes, it's the Daily Mail he's with now, isn't he? I'm getting sure, him mixed up with his old... Uh... 
Surely He's... Boris Johnson wouldn't write for two newspapers at the same time. I want to bet. <laughs> so I, I think the Telegraph is a good pick, exactly for the reasons you say. The I think the other reason maybe to pick outlets like the Mail and the Telegraph is that it's obvious the Tory party strategy is going to be a decapitation strategy on Keir Starmer. And they have been briefing excitedly over the Christmas period about how they have all these stories about how terrible Keir Starmer is and what awful human being he is and what a terrible prime minister he would be. And one of them, uh, all of these have been in Lord Ashcroft's book as well, which came out and no one cared about. Uh, But one of them is apparently that Keir Starmer, Steve, noted human rights lawyer. He lives in London, of course, Mm. and is left wit. So (laughs) two things against him there. But he used human rights law to stop a dog being put down. And if there's anything that the British public will not accept, Steve, it's the keeping alive of pets. You do wonder about the Tories and where they think they can... what they think of people at times, don't you? But you look at the polling of readership of various newspapers, Labour is leading the Tories amongst Daily Mail readers. Yeah. And so I feel like it's a little bit 2017 rather than 2019 in that what the selection feels like is the mainstream right-wing press haven't caught on to the fact that most of their readers hate the government. Yeah. Either because of the cultural stuff they've done, because they're paying more mortgages, because they're looking competent. There's a whole host of reasons. And they just haven't cottoned onto it yet. And so therefore, I'd usually just go with a mainstream media outlet or almost exclusively. Um, but I feel like maybe it's... Uh, well, I've gone back again. I, I said, well, I've gone with JB News, but I just don't feel those mainstream outlets are going to have the effect that the Tory party hopes they're going to have in the election. But I think, absolutely right, I think, to to pick the Telegraph for those reasons. Wild card time, Steve. So in, in theory, my, my, I suppose mine could have been fallen under the commentator category as well. But I don't think he technically does count as a commentator, which is why I didn't. one of the reasons I didn't go for him. But I've gone for Nigel Farage, because he's not technically anything these days. He's te- like, How dare you? Yeah, according to his third, and I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here, Steve. Well, well, indeed, that that's kind of my point. Um, he's just a a well-known figure now, for the most part. Um, you can put him in the same sort of box as Ed Balls in in terms of public consciousness. Um, How dare you compare Nigel Farage to Ed Balls? Yeah, we don't want to see uh, Nigel Farage do Gangnam Style dance. Um, do you want to see Ed Balls' backside in the shower? <laughs> well, I'm a celebrity. No, definitely not. What a Faustian pack this is. Sorry, um, but I I do think there is potential in some form for Farage to make yet another comeback if he's actually if he's actually interested in it. Um I don't necessarily know think he is, but because I think as we discussed previously, I think he wants wants to be seen as the king over the water rather than actually have any authority or power because then you have to actually put the work in. Um but even without being an MP, being involved in frontline politics, he can have some influence. And maybe he ends up in the Lords, maybe not. But even if he's just a talking head that appears on Question Time or with a column somewhere or or whatever, he's the sort of person which, again, in 2024, when there's likely to be a leadership contest for the Conservative Party, he has influence, potentially, that could shake things up a bit. Yes. And we did talk, I think, at length, didn't we, about whether or not he'd be Tory leader. I think there's the... He's he's undoubtedly a good wildcard pick, um, 
I think there's undoubtedly an an, an extent to which he will have a role in the 2024 election. Um, you do wonder at this stage whether it's just he'll come back, have a comeback and take the credit and then go off again. But I think it's worth keeping an eye out um, and could well swing more seats. I mean, this is why this election in many ways is a bit of a perfect storm for the Conservatives. If they, We've talked for years. I feel longer than a lot of other media outlets about the problem they had keeping their electoral coalition together. And now it's fragmenting everywhere. Yep. And they haven't got long to put it back together. We can talk more about that, I guess, over the year. We're going to have a love time, aren't we? Uh, there won't be the election next week, probably. I'm going I'm going for a 24-carat wildcard. My wildcard is Prince Harry. Okay. What's your reasoning there, then? Okay, so there's a court case before Christmas yep. on phone hacking. Mm-hmm. And if and, and that caused lots of outcry from lots of journalists like Piers Morgan, who it's always very nice to see outraged over things. And on the basis that it's hard that someone like Donald Trump would almost make sense as a wild card in that he will loom over British politics, but I don't think we'll move and shake it. I picked Paul Novak at the TUC next year. I think the trade union movement will prosper under a Labour government than they will at the moment. I don't think the government has any interest in meeting with unions. I think they're going to play off against the unions in the some uh, misbegotten hope that somehow they'll get political capital out of that. So I think we are going very retro. We are going, it's 2011, 2012 all over again. Phone hacking, the conduct of journalists, the conduct of newspapers is going to become an issue again this year. And we know there's nothing more that the media likes doing than talking about itself. And Prince Harry is becoming the front spokesperson for that. And it seems as interesting a wild card as any of the people we haven't talked about. Okay. I can kind of see where you're getting at with that. With that. And, and there's also... There's also just the the very basic fact that the the whole Meghan Markle and and Harry being uh, uh, an item that and the whole situation surrounding Meghan Markle and the royal family and there was at least some uh, insinuation that um, some of the previous statements that had been made about her in terms of that were racist and things like that had come from Charles. So if some the more things like that come out or whatever. Harry gets rushed into the limelight that creates some interesting uh, political dynamics. So yeah, no, I think that's an interesting pick. I don't, I don't know if it's a good pick because it's it's either going to be all or nothing. I feel, um, but it, but it's an interesting one. Yeah, I, thinking about it now, I wonder if maybe someone who isn't we doesn't really fit our other categories, but might have a bearing in the election would have been someone like Martin Lewis. But I, I think it's, I think it's interesting. <laughs> It's a bit like you picked Prince Andrew, I think, a year or two ago. Yeah. And and that could have been inspired. Uh, and again, it's well, nothing. Yeah. But um, again, I think it, it's a story that's really worth um, going on. I, I'm about a third of the way through reading Spare, actually, his memoir. Any good? It's a long stream of consciousness. Right. In order. It's, I don't know. Is it is it interesting? Yes. Is it well written? Not particularly. Uh, well, I keep reading it. 
yeah, absolutely. Do I believe everything that's there? Fair. Um, but I, you, you just get this impression of someone just completely torn apart by grief so young and not in an environment where he could cope with it for very understandable reasons. Um, yeah. There's bits of it which are really, really interesting. There's bits of it which are just harrowing and there's bits of it you think, can you please write paragraphs properly? But, you know. Hmm. Uh, well, didn't think we'd be ending on Prince Harry's memoir as we approach 2024, this crucial election year. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be putting stuff out semi-regularly to try and keep ourselves sane as the general election approaches or doesn't approach or just lurks in the background. Um, if you want to support us and help us keep going, we're at patreon.com forward slash not enough champagne. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at paperback writer. I'm at acoustic radical. Happy plotting. Happy plotting.